Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by the Reverend Ian Reid Rido from King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand. And indeed, we're back in Palmerston at King's Grace. Ian, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, Brent. Oh, we couldn't do it without you, brother. We're so grateful for the time that you've given us over the last few months. It's been fantastic. and It's a privilege to hear your teaching. We're back in the book of Mark, and uh, we're up to chapter 4, verse 35. And today we'll, we're just looking at those few verses at the end of Mark with the incredible account of Jesus calming the storm. But before we get to that, Ian, what did we see last time about the parables of Jesus? So Jesus tells uh, several parables, and what we're seeing him do is explain to us or give us a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And he doesn't do it in a, in a kind of... Here are the 10 bullet points of what you need to know. But he, t- he tells us in pictures of what this kingdom is like and he invites us into uh, that kind of idea of, okay, this is how the kingdom is going to kind of grow in this world and how it can grow in you as a person as well. What did we learn about the purpose of Jesus' parables last time? Because they, weren't, they didn't have an obvious purpose or that they had a, a, a dramatic undercurrent to them. Yeah, the idea is that they're kind of meant to blur it for some people in terms of the, the if you're not in, then you won't understand what these what these parables are about. If you stand on the outside, you'll never understand. You actually have to be in the kingdom to, to understand what these what the kind of the parables and the pictures mean. And so the parables presumably were given for judgment on parts of Israel. In particular, yes. Mm. Yep. Sobering stuff. Okay, so today, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, Jesus calms a storm. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, what was the other side, Ian? The other side of Lake Galilee. Right, okay. So is he going into um, Gentile territory? Yes, he is, because yes, he goes, yes, to, the, uh, the he goes to the demon-possessed, the Gerasenes, yeah. Demon-possessed man, yeah. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Mm. Okay, Ian, you started your sermon on this passage with a rather special and beautiful painting. Can you tell us about that, please? So um, Rembrandt's, I think it's the storm on Lake Galilee or Sea of Galilee, I think it's called. It's actually stolen in 1990. It's never been recovered, but it's worth looking up. It's a it's a very interesting work of Rembrandt. It's a and it's considered to be one of one of the great masterpieces. Uh, but it's such a beautiful painting, and it has this uh, kind of particular effect of, of using dark and light. And you've got kind of the disciples waking Jesus up, and uh, it's just a, a very very interesting kind of painting. I don't know I know nothing about art, but uh, I like that one. I, I don't know much about art, but I, I have a particular my favourite Rembrandt story which I will tell against myself, when I, a friend and I were in the National Gallery in London some years ago, and we were in the Rem, we'd walked into the Rembrandt room, and I was saying to my friend, I don't really like Rembrandt, I don't understand Rembrandt. 
And as I was talking, I was aware that there was some a gentleman s- staring at me from not very far away, thoroughly disapproving of what I was saying about about it. And I, I, he, the, I was suddenly aware of this this uh, a person drawing me to, towards his gaze, and it turned out to be a self-portrait of Rembrandt. Really? On the wall, and it was just, I, I must apologise to him because I felt he was there on the wall <laughs> staring at me, and he it was it was so he was so it was so, such a magnetic work, and I think that was the moment when I was I realised what a genius Rembrandt was, and I took back everything I'd <laughs> said well, about there's Rembrandt. An inter- there's an interesting thing in that in the painting of um, the Storm on the Sea, Gal- sea of Galilee mm-hmm. is that there's a little figure right towards yes. the bottom of the boat yeah, yeah, yeah. who is looking out at, at us, mm. uh, you know, kind of looking at And people think that that, that is Rembrandt drawing, you know, kind of mm. looking out at us and, and kind of asking the question in a sense of kind of where are you kind of, you know, in this scene and, and drawing you into the painting itself. Mm. It was a, an uncanny experience uh, that I had in the National Gallery that day in London where you literally feel as though that this person was alive in, well, in, yeah. in the painting and the eyes were... <laughs> Yeah. Following you yeah, the, the eyes were following me around the building. Yes. <laughs> Who is this idiot who's come to <laughs> criticise me? But what a genius. Yeah. And there's a cross in the painting, if I remember rightly, isn't there? Yeah, oh, well, in the mast, there, yeah. there kind yeah. of is. I'd never really noticed that so much before Before, before you pointed it out. I'd, you know, I'd noticed there was a mast there, but you kind of... Um, I hadn't noticed how kind of cross-like it is. Yeah, you know? it's literally a cross, and so clearly yeah. it's, it's not a coincidence. Okay, uh Rembrandt aside and confessions of um, a person who's totally ignorant of, of Rembrandt until he actually saw them in the flesh, and they're, they're beautiful works. What happens in this famous passage? Well, Jesus has just been teaching uh, on, on the Sea of Galilee. So he's sitting there teaching people, teaching kind of the, some of his disciples, but there's a lot of people around. Uh, but he's been out on the boat and people have been on the land, and then they've gone to, to cross over. We don't know why why they're going on the other side. They cross over, a violent squall kind of uh, pops up, which is, was quite common uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And then uh, what's happening? Jesus is asleep. They're all about to die. Everyone's drowning. But if you go in the water, it, you know, kind of no one no one knows how to, how to swim properly. So if you go in the water, that's it. For a lot, for a lot of these people, I would have thought these these were all fishermen. They would have done this trip in this boat dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So, what's their issue? Well, I think I think it shows how bad this storm is okay. that they're they're afraid. Yeah, of, so even they're afraid, and they've done this. Yeah, they've done this crossing many times. It's so bad they've never seen a storm like this. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that's the point: is that mm. this storm is so bad that they're afraid for yeah. their lives. These experienced fishermen. What's Jesus doing? He's out the back having a sleep, you know, and it's just, it's kind of astounding. Uh, and what do they do? They wake him up and then Jesus calms it. What's the significance of the fact they're headed into Gentile territory? Does that have any bearing on what's happening? Well, I think, I, I wonder if there's there's kind of a play on here that the crossing of the sea itself, kind of the, oh, the, the, okay. the waters and the yeah, sea yeah, 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 being yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, a, yeah. a significant place for Israel is that that's where the Gentiles kind of, that's where they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live on the land and the hills, you live on the sea, you know, kind of, and you go fishing and things like that, where it wasn't, that wasn't so much of a Jewish thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do wonder if that, that going on the other side is there's this yeah. barrier almost, you know, of the sea. Yeah, heading into Gentile territory. We don't know why Jesus goes there. We just told that. Well, he, he keeps travelling back and forth. Well, it's like kind of lots of exoduses. You know, you think of Israel coming out of Egypt and uh, and uh, Joshua crossing into the Promised Land and so on. It's, it's like I'm sure there's an Exodus theme or a new conquest or something going on here. Yeah. 
Mm. Why is the sea so often connected with the Gentiles in Scripture? Well, that, that was the you know the Philistines. They kind of lived along the the border of the sea and and along there, and that was the the place. The kind of out of bounds almost for Israel that they just weren't a sea going kind of um, nation. That they, they you know they lived in the hills. They they didn't cross the sea basically you're not a particularly seagoing critter either are you you t- I, mean, I remember you telling me you don't much like boats i i, I like the, i love the sea you, I, gr- I grew up near the sea i love the sea oh, I you, hate, grew up, I hate you, grew, you you must have grown you in sydney you must have grown up around those beautiful beaches yeah yep. maroubra is my oh, maroubra is beautiful yeah hometown yeah. Yeah. home beach uh but so i love surfing i love you know swimming in the ocean i hate boats I, uh, <laughs> I've many fishing boat has seen. I've made a lot of burly off the, off the side of the fishing boat. Do you, have you ever done the uh, channel, the uh, inter island? Many, many times. I think I've done <laughs> it probably uh, fifteen times or so. I've done it a lot, and I haven't had too that, many. That can bad be crossings. that man. That can be rough. That reminds me of the uh, channel crossing between England and France. <laughs> I've done a few, too yeah. many of them too. Yeah. So, what's the significance of the storm here then? Well, it kind of comes up from nowhere, you know, and this is the Sea of Galilee was was kind of because um, was known for that. But I think you, you've got a particularly like what's going on here in, in some uh, instance is this kind of creation kind of thing happening, you know, kind of a, oh, dis- okay. yeah. a disordered yeah. mm. maybe creation mm. kind of kind of going on. It's not. I don't think it's a, like a, a creation Jesus kind of battle or anything like that. It's just a, a disordered creation uh, that. You know, kind of this this storm just pops up. Yeah, and so is there is there a connection back with the creation account in Genesis? Yeah, you would think so. You know, kind of the the spirit hovering over the waters, and you know, uh-huh. kind of God speaking into that kind of space. Yeah, why not? And and so, who is Jesus here then that he can calm a, a storm just with a word? Well, isn't this the? I think this is the for me the most interesting part of this passage is that Jesus he just he says it. You know, kind of be still. He's really he's showing everyone who he is, you know. He this is literally God sitting with you in the boat. But for me, the most interesting part of that is that you have all of these people, all the disciples, who are afraid of everything what what's going on outside of the boat, and then all of a sudden at the end, what are they afraid of? The person inside the boat, and it's this kind of outside inside thing going on. And I I just think that that is just so interesting. That it's just kind of like we were deathly scared of drowning. Now, what does this mean that this man has power even over that? Is there any significance? I've always wondered whether there was any significance to the fact that Jesus is, is asleep while all this is going on. I don't know. Maybe he was just tired. Well, he obviously was. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm wondering whether yeah, sleep, sleep is like a new birth, isn't it? And resurrection, a mini-resurrection. He, he calms the storm. Uh, he shuts down the, the, the elements. I don't know. Anyway, why does Jesus respond to the disciples the way he does there in verse 40? So let me reread what it says. Uh, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And it's kind of like, do you not understand who is sitting with you here in this boat? I am literally God. You know, kind of, that, that's, why, that's why he says this. And it's kind of, and you kind of think, well, you, it, it is a little bit understandable, isn't it? You know, kind of the boat's been swamped and you, they feel like they're about to be drowned. You know that they it might maybe test their faith a little bit, uh, but Jesus is is kind of he gets in there and just says, "Yeah, you know, why are you so afraid? You, you still don't understand who I am, do you?" Mm. What do our fears show us about ourselves? Do you think? I think it highlights the things that we're really trusting in. 
you know, deep down, it shows us that this is the thing that's going to be taken away from me because that's the thing I really trust in. So I'm trusting in this thing and, and God, if you, if you take that away, then you're taking away my very life. Uh, and so I think often we can explore our fears. What are the things we're afraid of? Are we afraid kind of, of losing, losing our jobs or losing uh, kind of some financial security or what, whatever it is? You know, it might be a relationship even. Uh, and it would feel like, if I'm afraid of losing that thing, then God has taken my very life away. Well, then we need to ask some deeper questions around, is that, am I trusting in that thing for my security rather than God himself? Yeah, why, why is it important that God point out our idols? Well, because ultimately they're forms of, of worship other than him. Uh, we, and really, I think that they're, they're forms of self-worship because we use those things to make ourselves into into mini gods, and I think that's the big danger uh, of you know, pretty much every everything that God creates. We can turn it into something that worships us, rather than using it to worship Him. Okay, then what does this passage teach us about how or what we can learn from our fears? Well, I think the big thing here is that we need to heed Jesus' question: "There, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith?" That Faith overcomes fear, uh, ultimately, that we need to kind of see that God may pass us through things uh, that we are very afraid of. You know, he may take things out of us from, from our lives, which we hold on dearly to, and it may feel like it, we, it, God is taking our very lives. But we need to see that God doesn't do that without reason, that he does it uh, to build faith, but also to reveal himself as well. Well, yeah, I think in your sermon you say uh, our fear shows where our faith is. Is that yeah. right? Our, our fear shows where our faith is. So why do you say that? Because it, it highlights the thing that you, you trust in ultimately. And so if I'm afraid of losing uh, kind of a job, then I'm trusting in that job for my security ultimately. But if I if that's a possibility that I might lose my job and life might be thrown into turmoil, but I'm not afraid of entering into that space because I know that God will look after me. It's a very different conversation, isn't it? Yes, that would be hard. doesn't mean that it won't be hard. And it doesn't mean that God will ultimately just protect me from, from all those hardships either. But what it does mean is that I can pass through those difficulties knowing that God will protect me uh, and will bring good out of it, whatever that means, you know, whether that means me growing as a person, me trusting in him more. We've gone through a very difficult two years in, uh, in the world with COVID. Uh, why in this time of COVID need we not be afraid? Well, who's in control? You know, these things have popped up throughout history and they pop up all of the time, these disruptions. Uh, and ultimately, I think what God has done is kind of just shaken us a little bit and saying, hey, what are you, re- what are you really trusting in? And I think this period has been good in some sense for the church because it has meant that we in the church need to have been asking and we need to keep asking, what am I really trusting in? Am I trusting uh, that God will provide for me? Am I trusting that he is the one uh, who gives us all things? Or am I trusting myself myself and you know, kind of my job and everything else that's going on around me? Final question. How does Jesus provide us with eternal security? Well, isn't I mean, this is kind of the point in this passage is that because he is God, because he is in control of all things, he's just revealed that to us here. We can trust him eternally because that's who he is. He's God. He's going to take hold of us and he's not going to let go. 
what, what would you say to someone who's listening to this podcast who may have lost their job uh, due to COVID uh, what, in whatever situation or is in a part of the world where they are suffering, uh, undergoing persecution? What, what does this passage have to say to someone like that? Well, I think firstly, you need to, we need to acknowledge that that, that sucks. <laughs> you know, kind of that that sin and turmoil. You kind of it, no one wants that, and it is awful. Uh, but at the same time, we need to commit ourselves to God that He will use this, not not to bring your best life ever. That God is not interested in that. What He's interested in uh, is making the best you ever. You know and that's you know, and what is that? That's holy, basically, is what he's doing. He's making you like Jesus, uh, and you know that's going to be hard work. <laughs> and you know, and it will mean that you, some of those edges need to be knocked off, and he will need to pass you through some difficult things so that you can get there. Mm. Thank you so much, uh, Ian, the Reverend Ian Reed of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And next time, Ian, we're coming on to talk about a Mark chapter five, verses one to twenty. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.